0: Again, if you have your Bible, please open it up to the book of John, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. And again, I want to welcome you, whether you are here online or in the fellowship hall. Uh, I know God is going to do something amazing in our hearts and lives as we open up God's Word. But I also want to say hello and welcome anybody who might be new or visiting with us for the very, very first time. We understand that it's easy to slip in and out without somebody saying hi to you. It's not going to happen here. We're going to say hello to you right now. So if this is your first time, you just give me a friendly little wave? And if you see somebody waving next to you, say hello to first time visitors. Yeah, we got some over there. I love it. Love it. Love it. Welcome. Welcome. And my, my favorite is when like the first time visitor doesn't want to wave and like their friends like, no, you're waving. <laughs> you're, you're, you're waving today, girl. He's going to see you like, thank you so much. That's a good friend. You want a friend like that. Who's going to lift you up and make you say hello. Um, I would love to say hello, get uh, to meet you, shake your hand. I'll be in the foyer afterwards. We'd love just to say hello. And uh, man, what a blessing is that high school worship team. Wasn't it amazing? Man, yeah. I tell you, it's, it's, it's amazing to see what God can do in the lives of anybody, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, don't despise them because of your youth. Don't let them despise you because of your youth. And they weren't just up here playing music and singing songs. They were leading the church before the throne room of God at, in their, as teenagers. It makes me think, what was I doing then? And like, man, like they are leading God's people to him. And it's just an amazing, and it's an encouragement, hopefully a challenge at the same time to leave. Like, what am I doing for the Lord? Like, it's amazing. And then that little preacher, you could tell she's a preacher, right? She started like this. And then when she went preaching, she got two minds. She said, do it. (laughs) I'm like, I thought she was going to take an offering. I was like, What's going on? But it's so awesome to see God using uh, young people. So in, um, We're going to be looking at God's word, a message called Demonstration of Devotion. We're going to take a little break from our normal verse by verse chapter-by-chapter chapter study through the book of 1 Corinthians for a couple of reasons. One, the past two Sundays, we've been dealing a lot with sin, the effects of sin, and how sin separates us from God now and for eternity. And God's view, it's been real heavy, and the wrath of God and these types of things. And so today we're going to talk about devotion and love and love for God. I promised that it was coming. We want to be balanced. We want wrath and love. We don't want to just be hellfire and brimstone. Are you guys are going to send me out to Kentucky and, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't start preaching like that, and I don't want to do that, but today we're going to talk about the love of God, which I think is important, especially when we talk about the wrath and His judgment and His view upon sin, to understand what it looks like to truly love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The other reason is today's a high school takeover, and if I was to start 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we would be talking about marriage, and the marriage bed, and how husbands and wives should not hold their body to themselves, and those types of things, and I just thought, man, for a high school takeover, maybe we can skip that for a week or two as they're sitting next to their parents they just didn't want to get too weird so all that to be said we are going to jump in john chapter 12 let's read verse 1 together where it says this jesus therefore six days before the passover came to bethany where lazarus was whom jesus had raised from the dead and so they made him a supper there and martha was serving but lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. We are picking up right towards the end of John's gospel. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a very close and intimate personal relationship with Jesus, and so not that we are picking up towards the end of his book, but... As we begin, John lets us know a little timing on where this is in Jesus's ministry. And we can see that by the fact that he points out in verse one, that this was six days before the Passover. With that, we know that this is towards the end of Jesus's ministry. His life here on earth was coming towards an end and the cross was a little bit of less than a week away. And so in that in mind, we know that Jesus had, he know why he came. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost and to give his life as a ransom he knew that he was on a rescue mission coming to the earth to die and so he knew he was well aware that his life was no longer than six to five days away from being taken from him and so the shadow of the cross is no doubt looming over him and so jesus and the disciples it says in verse one that they came to bethany Bethany was a place that Jesus visited often because he had friends there, friends that he deeply, deeply loved. And it was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Several times throughout several Gospels, we see this beautiful relationship that Jesus had with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They lived there, and so he would go there often to rest and to spend time with those who he loved. This specific time, it being towards the end of Jesus's ministry, this was a very, very dangerous time for Jesus actually to go to Bethany to visit his friends. For a couple of reasons. One, Bethany was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He was well aware of the terrorist plots that were coming against him, the schemes of the religious leaders to take him and to him to death, And so this wasn't some casual vacation. This was a, a treacherous mission for Jesus to go to Bethany and to spend time with his friends. But that didn't stop him. He was still willing to go and to be with them. And as Jesus arrived, we see in verse two that they made him supper. This tells us a couple of things that they were southern because if, if they weren't from the south, it would have been dinner. So they were going to go there and they were going to have supper. The way this was written, it indicates a couple of things. It was more than just a a normal dinner or a supper. That word supper in the Greek, it indicates a a deep fellowship, possibly even a town-wide, all of Bethany comes celebration, to celebrate the great miracle that God had did in the chapter before, where he raised Lazarus and brought him back to life. So in light of this being a very dangerous time for Jesus to be so close to Jerusalem, It's even more gripping when you realize that the whole town came out to rejoice and to celebrate and to have a fellowship time because of the great work that God had did. And I love that. I love that not only was Jesus bold and he didn't care or let fear dictate or drive him to not do something or to do something, but I love that with everything going on with the death threats, with the cross looming, the shadow looming over his life, that he still wanted to be with the people. It would have been easy for Jesus to kind of wind down towards the end of his ministry. It had been easy for Jesus to withdraw from the crowds, to lay low until it was time for him to go to the cross, but he didn't. He wanted to be with the people. He wanted to minister. He wanted to be with them. And I love that. And that challenges me, and it really ministers to me. And I hope it does to you as well. Because when things are weighing heavy upon our shoulders, when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through trials and tribulations, it is very, very easy for us to withdraw, amen, to stay home. I I don't really feel like going. I don't feel like doing that today. And so we can find ourselves just staying within the house. And if we allow that pattern to continue for a period of time, what happens is we're no longer just withdrawing or staying within our house. We find ourselves even within our room and discouragement and depression and just begins to set in. And Jesus wasn't going to let that happen. He knew what was coming. He knew what he had to do and nothing stopped him. He wanted to be out. He didn't allow the the weight of the world to, to weigh him down and to cause him to withdraw. He was out and about. And I love that because... I think we all feel like that from time to time, and we need to be more like Jesus. No matter what's going on, we're going to go out. We're going to be with the people because God created us as a body. The enemy wants to keep us by ourselves when we're discouraged, when we're down, when we're going through heavy times. But it's the times when we come together that we just get built up. It was so amazing. I met a gentleman here today, right before the service. He walked by and he had the most beautiful smile on him. And I just couldn't help. I was thinking, going over my message in my head, thinking, oh my goodness, I left my handkerchief. My head's gonna be glowing the whole time, going over my message. I was just thinking all this stuff in my head. That's a true story. And I see this gentleman and he smiles. I'm just like, man, that's what it's all about. Met him, greeted him, a sweet, sweet time. Encouraged we got my mind off whatever it was. And that's just a small story of how we need each other, how we encourage and the power of a smile, a word, a hello, a prayer. We need each other. And so the enemy wants to isolate, but Jesus wanted to be with the people and there's life in the body of Christ. And so as supper was being prepared, it's no surprise that John points out something that we see a common theme and pointed out several times throughout the gospel. And we see that Martha was serving. We see that in verse 2. If you have your own Bible, you can circle that. That is a common theme every single time that we see Martha. She was depicted, or it's made reference to the fact that she was serving. Now, the last time we saw Martha serving was in a story that it was very, very popular. It was actually two months prior to this event, and Dr. Luke actually documented it in Luke chapter 10. And it was during that time that Jesus again stopped by Bethany to visit with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But at that time, Jesus taught not only Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but he also taught us a very, very important lesson about serving. And if you remember um, Luke chapter 10, it actually said more than Martha was serving. It said she was busy. You guys remember that? She was busy with much serving. So last time, two months prior, before he taught this lesson, it says she was busy with much serving. Now, we know that busy, being busy is okay. Oftentimes, some of us love a busy day, whether it's at work or just life in general. Busy is being okay. But the way that this was written in the story in Luke, it was documented that she was too busy. At that time, she was ministering from a place of emptiness, a place of dryness, rather than a place of overflowing in God's spirit. So she was busy, and it was a bad busy She was grinding her gears. She felt like she was running in mud, and it was a terrible, terrible place to be. But that's where she was serving from. It wasn't a place of overflow, a place of joy, or a place of happiness. And so Luke mentioned that she was busy with much serving. And out of a place of frustration, out of a place of maybe being a little stressed out, we remember the story. She actually got mad, and she got upset with her sister Mary because Mary wasn't helping her. You remember the story in Luke chapter 10, Jesus comes into town, he has all the disciples, she's in the kitchen, she's preparing, and Mary wasn't helping her at all. And so she turns and actually got a little upset, and she actually got difficult with her sister and and kind of told Jesus, Jesus, can you tell her to come and help me? She's not doing anything. Look at her, tell her to help me. But Jesus let her know at that time. He taught her a very, very important lesson, not just for her, but for all of us. I think she probably expected Jesus to turn to Mary and say, Mary, go help Martha. But that's not what he said. He looked at Martha and he says, Mary is doing something. Not only is she doing something, but she is doing something of the utmost importance, which was sitting at my feet. You see, so often we can get busier, we can get focused on serving rather than sitting at the Lord's feet. A very, very important lesson that we Need to understand, because if we're not careful, the same frustration that Martha experienced in Luke chapter 10 can easily rise up in our life as well. We can get overwhelmed and begin to look down upon others about what they're not doing or how they're not doing enough. And we can be stressed out and overwhelmed and judgmental the same way that Martha was. And this can happen in different areas and arenas in our life. Maybe some of you guys who are in the workplace, the Bible says, do all things unto the glory of God. And I hope as Christians in our work environments that we are the best employees that the boss has. But as we're there and as we're grinding, as we're doing all unto the Lord, if we are not sitting at the feet, not getting filled up, encouraged, and ministering for an overflow, it's very easy to look at our other employees. And some of you guys know exactly where I'm going because you know that lazy employee. You know who I'm talking about. Don't say their names. Okay. Give them to the Lord right now. And you're over here working and you're sweating and you're doing all your thing and you're looking. It's like, man, this guy's don't break again. I know he gets the same amount of breaks as I, do Every single time I look around, you're breaking or you're on your phone again. And all of a sudden the frustration begins to well up. They're not doing what I'm doing and they should be doing this and they're not doing that. That's the wrong heart to have. It's blessed. It's a blessing to be able to serve and to work. And we become a burden when we take our eyes off of ourselves and begin to look at other people. But it's not just work. It could even happen even within the church. I'm volunteering so much. I'm, I'm giving so much. And then we come before God. Where thou with art, the rest of thy servant, th- Lord. I don't know. Whenever we cry out to the Lord, but it's always in Old Testament English. I don't know why. but It's like, Lord, where are we, we find like ourselves like the Old Testament. It's only meeth. Nobody else does anything. And that's the wrong heart. So, strike it down. I mean, stir up your people, Lord, to serve like me. Something I said? <laughs> just getting started, guys. Man, these high schoolers. I was just building you guys up. Now you're tearing me down. No, just kidding. <laughs> and we can get looked down upon people within the church, brothers and sisters, doing what God has called them to do and it's not just the work environment it's not just in church it can even be within the homes you know husbands against wives you know men they go out and they work and 8 hours 12 hours and, and you know they're sweating and they're working hard and they're doing this and they're and they're doing that and then they get home and well, I got to do this too. And whenever men tell me the story, it's always not an eight hour shift or a 12 hour shift. There's men that tell me they work 26 hour shifts. I don't even know how they do it. What am I supposed to do? I work 26 hours a day. And I'm not the smartest guy. I'm like, oh, okay. 26, that's good. It's a, a tough shift, man. I come home and they expect me to do this and I got to do this and I got to do that. Look down, what does she do all day? She just sits around and eats bonbons. What about me? And then the wife, same thing. I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and you're not doing nothing. That's what happens when we take our eyes off of ourselves and the things we're doing. We put it about other people. And that's where Martha was. She was discouraged. She was depressed. But how do we avoid that? How do we fight that? How do we not get critical of other people and just do the things that God has called us to do? Jesus gave the answer how to avoid that spirit, how to avoid that type of heart. And it comes from sitting and being filled up at the feet of Jesus and ministering from a place of overflow rather than a place of emptiness. And that's where Martha was. And that's when he pointed to Mary and said, this is the key right here. You're busy with much serving and you're not sitting at my feet being filled up. By God's grace, this was a good lesson that Martha learned. Well, how do we know that? Because here it says that Martha was serving. It doesn't say she was frustrated. It doesn't say she was busy. It doesn't say she was stressed out, but that she was just serving. Martha understood the importance and learned of sitting and ministering from an overflow. And so while supper was being prepared and while um, Martha was serving, all this was taking place. We see in verse three that Mary took a pound, a very expensive perfume, a very expensive spikenard, and it says she anointed the feet of Jesus with her hair. Now, just as we see throughout the scripture, it very, very consistently tells of Martha serving, equally so needs to be said about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Every time we see Martha, she's serving. Every time we see Mary, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus of Jesus. And with that, I believe we see such a beautiful demonstration of devotion that Mary had for the Lord, but also a deep, deep love that she had for God. And that's what we're going to look at today. How deep her love for God was and her demonstration of devotion was she understood the first and greatest commandment from Matthew chapter 22. She understood it. Teacher, teacher, what must, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, I will tell you the first and the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. She got that. And my heart and our prayer here today is that we would truly get that that's what God wants more than anything. is for us to love him with everything that we have. And I think we see it beautifully illustrated in the life of Mary. And I love not only... Do every time we see Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, but we see her doing so both in difficult times and in good times. Her brother, Lazarus, had just died and she had just, he had just passed away and he had been in the grave. But yet when she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. During time of distress and pain in heart, she's at the feet. But here during this supper celebration, she is at his feet, good times and bad times. And I think that ministers to us. Because maybe it's easier or harder for one of those for you. But I know people where in times of joy, in time of blessing, in times of prosperity, it's easy to sit at Jesus' feet. But during times of difficulty, it's, it's hard. And vice versa. But I think we need to sit at the feet both in times of joy and prosperity and times of sorrow and discouragement. And that's what we see here with Mary. Now, the first thing that John points out about this beautiful Demonstration of devotion and this great love for God that she shows is that she used very costly perfume. And this act of devotion and love for God, by using this expensive perfume, she shows God something. She demonstrates something to God that is very, very powerful. She showed him that he was worth more and that she valued him and that she loved him more than anything in the world. More than anything. You are important i value and i lift you up how do we know that well the value we'll find out in verse five of this expensive bottle of perfume was over 300 denarii which was a year's wage a year's wage let that set in a little bit a year's wage not many people i know have a year's wage just sitting in their bank account if you do, that's a blessing, that, that's awesome, and that's, and that's a great thing. But a year's wage is very, very expensive, very hard work to, to attain that. And so the, the premise of this, what the writer was trying to illustrate was this was all that she had. This was everything. She gave him everything. I have nothing else to give. This is my all. And in that, we see a powerful picture on how we're to handle the possessions that we have in our lives. That we're not to hold on tight to him, because that's the temptation. To trust in our money, to trust in our portfolio, to trust in the things that bring us security, rather than to trust in the Lord. And God says, it's not the case, trust in me. And we see that type of love demonstrating her, I'll I'll let go of anything. This is all that I have, my my most prized possession. Here, take it. It's absolutely beautiful. Our devotion and our love for God, like Hers, when she demonstrated it will cost us things at times. I love what that young lady Hannah said. She talked about sacrifice. Maybe you guys missed that. and costing, those are things that we don't really like to listen and allow to resonate in our heart. But following God will cause and will bring forth sacrifice in the life of the believer. And it will cost us things at times. Sacrifice our time. Sacrifice, sacrifice our will, our desire, our plans, our purpose, whatever it may be. She understood that at a very early age. And that's so beautiful. Still learning that lesson. But not only will it bring forth sacrifice, but it will also cost us things. What do you mean it'll cost us things? At times it'll cost us relationships. It'll cost us friendships. It'll cost us things that God is calling us to give up. And we see the demonstration of what it looks like to have a true demonstration of devotion and love for God, willing to let go of the things of this world and knowing that they don't mean anything. I'm willing to let go of it all. But it's always worth it. Whatever God, we, we think in our worldly minds that we're letting go and we're losing, but we're really gaining. When we try to hold on, we're holding on to something that God wants to remove to replace with something better. God will be no man's debtor. So whatever we give up, whatever we let go, whatever it costs us, God will bless us. Not necessarily in financial or material things, but in spiritual things which matter the most. Another thing worth pointing out in this beautiful demonstration of devotion and great love for God is the fact that she anointed his feet at all. Just the fact that that of itself is so powerful Now, washing and the anointing of feet was a a popular practice in this time, especially when you would enter into the house, which Jesus probably did. Whenever you would come into a house, you know, especially because, you know, they didn't have nice shoes and closed-toed shoes like we have today. They wore sandals. And so you could imagine there was no paved roads. And so the dirt and the grime of the travel and those types of things, whenever you would enter into a house, the anointing and the washing of feet would take place. That's normal. Now, normally this job was done by the lowliest and the humblest servant or slave that worked at that house. This was the worst job. Because you could imagine, you know, ladies and and gentlemen alike enjoy pedicures. There was no pedicures, you know. I mean, you guys, your toes look really, really nice today. I've seen some of them. You could imagine walking here in dirt, you know, and, and all of a sudden you walk into church and you can imagine what your feet would look like. Some of you get grossed out when you look at your feet after three weeks of not having a pedicure. Imagine not having a pedicure ever and walking around. I mean, it was, uh, poor ladies. You guys are going to have to sympathize with your sisters when you get to heaven, man. And so this was done, a sermon just washing the feet, but it was done with water and a, and a towel and a basin, but it was done by the most humble servant. And we see her... Dedication and devotion, and her great love for God, and the fact that she was willing to humble herself to do the job of the lowliest servant. In that, we see great devotion and great love for God. And it's a powerful picture for us that we need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift us up. That's how we can demonstrate our great love for God, fulfilling the first and greatest commandment, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, humility, humbling ourselves. In his sight. And we see that beautifully illustrated in the life of Mary. The last point that I want to bring up that illustrates a great demonstration of devotion and deep, deep, rich love for God is that John says in verse 3 that she wiped his feet with her hair. Just that statement, stand alone. That statement in of itself is, is powerful. Especially in today's culture and time, hair is very, very important to us. I look out, and ladies, your hair is beautiful. Gentlemen, I see some really good haircuts as well. I'm envious. I'm jealous. We take pride in our hair. Men go to the barber shop on a weekly basis to get cleaned up, to look nice. If not, there's a reason you're single. Yeah. <laughs> Just take that note, single gentleman, All right. But ladies, we're, we're in the beauty shop. We're getting our hair done. All those types of things. And think about the extreme ways that we go to protect our hair and the way that it looks. Those types of things. I grew up with sisters, black sisters. They would avoid water. We're not getting that water. They Go to the pool. Uh-uh. I'm not getting that water. They put their feet in. They're just dangling. This, this hair ain't getting wet. They, I tell you, man, I didn't want to tell you I was embarrassed. I was 16 years old. Threw my sister in the pool and she beat me up. Sixteen-year-old uh, man, okay, got beat up on my thirteen-year-old sister. When I say beat up, it, it feels good to confess this, you know. <laughs> Every little ounce of pride that I had is gone. She was not playing. I, that's where I learned. Okay, there's something serious about that hair. There's something serious. It, it, it's serious. Now think about that. And she was willing not only to not protect her hair, but to do a lowly job and wash feet. Let that set in. That's powerful in and of itself. But when you combine that with the culture and the customs of this day, women would never show their hair in public. Let alone, any respected woman would never let her hair down except in the presence of her husband. So for the remainder of the study, if you got your hair down, please put it up real quick. I'm just kidding. You know, but you, you think about that. So they would never do that. But she didn't care. And by doing this, she made it very clear. Her Devotion to God and her love for God. She didn't care about what customs said, about what the culture said. She cared about loving God and demonstrating to Him her great devotion and her great love for Him. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. Because no doubt people cared when they saw this. Oh my gosh, what is she doing? People had their own ideas, their own thoughts, but she didn't care. And what a great reminder for us not to care, or not to worry about what people think, but just to focus on showing God our love and our great devotion and love to him. And when we do that, people may not understand. God may call us to do things, may move us to do things that we don't understand. I've talked to men and women that God has called to do radical things. And they got radical kickback from people, not only in the world, but even in the church. God says, hey, you need to sell it all. You need to go on the mission field. You need to go. This is where God's called you to. And and they've got this calling on their heart. And people will tell them, well, well, don't sell your house. Maybe just rent it out. Don't drain your bank account. You're going to take your your little baby into the mission field? That's dangerous. People don't understand. God's calling me to go and to serve him. And so i got to leave this job, and i got to go and serve the Lord. What do you mean you got to leave? You're five years from retirement. If you leave now, you're going to lose it all. Just wait five years. People won't understand. People didn't understand what was going on in her life, but God did, and she was going to be obedient. And So people may not understand our dedication, devotion, our great love for God when he calls us to do something, but that is okay. Let's pick up in verse 4 where it says this, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor but because he was a thief and as he had the money box, he used it to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone so she will keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Verse four starts with a very stark, a very clear comparison. Judas and Mary couldn't be more polar opposite. Right after this radical dis- display of devotion and great love for God, the very first word is but. Circle that. You just it's, It separates things by so much. She was demonstrating her devotion and her great love for God, but he was intending and plotting and planning to betray him. The stark difference is chilling. The contrast between the devotion and the light and the love of Mary and the selfishness, the darkness, and the hate of Judas. It's powerful. You could walk with them for so long and be so far off. And so after witnessing this powerful demonstration of devotion and great Love for God. Judas asks a question in verse 5 that really revealed his heart, his character, who he was on the inside. He said, why didn't we sell this for 300 denarii? Why did we just pour it on the feet? He saw it as a waste. And it's interesting, before we go on and really explain that, this is the first documented words in all of the scripture of Judas Iscariot. And it's interesting that it's about money, which just reveals his heart and his greed. It's the first thing we see documented that he said. He wasn't moved to worship. He wasn't moved to a deeper devotion or a deeper love for God by this beautiful act that Mary had just done. He was moved to question, to criticize, and to be critical of what was taking place and what was happening. And sadly, sorry, Too often, this is the case today in the lives that we live. Whenever we're trying to do something for the Lord, there's always going to be those who discourage us. There's always going to be those who criticize and question, what are we doing? That's a crazy idea. That's a silly idea. What are you doing? What are you thinking? We want to be those that encourage, not those that criticize. We want to be those who build up, not those who tear down. Especially when it's about the things of God we want to be like david and jonathan when there was an idea they said let's just go and see what the lord may want to do they're gonna say that's a a stupid idea you want to go down there we're gonna die what do you no no we want to be those who build up let's just see i learned this early on because people come to me with some silly ideas (laughs) i'm gonna tell you but i've learned a long time ago what's silly to me god Some of the silliest ideas. People are, oh, this is what I want to do. And I'm thinking in my mind, that is crazy. There's no way God's going to bless that. But hey, man, let's just, how can I support you? How can I come alongside of you? And I've seen that which I thought was silly, God do crazy things with. And so now when God's speaking to somebody's heart, I'm just like, man, it doesn't have to make sense to me. What What are you trying to do for the Lord? And how can I be about it? Rather than being critical, because my critical response and my questioning, guess what? It could crush them, and they not do what God has called them to do. And So we got to be those who build up, not tear down. Judas was trying to appear like he was this holy man, like he was this good man, like he was a kind-hearted, generous man, like he was loving, like he really cared for the poor. We could give this money to the poor, but we see in verse 6, that wasn't his heart, he was a thief. He wanted the money for himself. He was pilfering the box that the money that was supposed to be used for ministry and the furthering of God's kingdom. He didn't care about the poor whatsoever. But I love Jesus' response to Judas. He wasn't going to let him ruin this moment, this beautiful demonstration of devotion, this great love for God. He wasn't going to let her ruin. He said, Let her alone. Let her alone. You're not going to sit here and question what she's doing for me. And I love this. It's so encouraging. We can be encouraged as well. Whenever we're doing things for the Lord and being questioned and criticized, Jesus is there. He's our advocate. He's the one that we're going to get built up. And if he is for us, who can be against us? It's so encouraging to know. Leave her alone. Stop that. I'm not going to criticize. you not going to break her down. I'm there for her. It also shows us that this demonstration of devotion and great love that she had shown, it also shows that Jesus accepted it. And what Judas thought was a waste, Jesus thought was worship. Couldn't be further apart. This is a waste of money. Look at this. He was missing the powerful demonstration of the love for God that was taking place. And so John ends this story with Jesus in verse 8 saying this. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now with this, Jesus was teaching them, reminding them, and even us, that there will always be opportunities to bless and to give and to be there for the poor. But he didn't want them to miss the opportunity that was right before them to minister and to bless and to be with him. There's going to be times, but right now, right here, be here. Be present with me. Take advantage of this time that you have while I'm still in your midst this is a great reminder for us today as well, not only to be faithful to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but also to be faithful to those opportunities that God gives us to minister and to serve people. We've got to be faithful with those because they're not always going to be here. We're not always going to have them. One of the most common phrases in the church that I've heard in the past two years is that we are living in the last days. Did you guys say amen to that? it's It's a common phrase. It's just rolling off our lips. And it's not just something that we say. I believe that we mean that and believe that now more than ever before. We say that. And if we truly believe that we're living in the last days, we have to understand that these might be the last opportunities that we have to minister, to preach, and to reach, and to teach, and to do things for the kingdom of God. Jesus told in a parable, as he went away, he said, Do business till I come. I believe he's coming soon and we want to be about his business. We want to be faithful with the opportunities, now more than ever with more fervor, more passion. If we truly believe that we are living in the last days. I also believe this statement was it's my personal belief that this was a last chance call to Judas. Judas, wake up. I'm right here. I know you're not worried about the poor. I know where your heart really is, but I'm right here. There's always going to be opportunities. But Judas, I'm here hoping that he would surrender, hoping that he would repent, hoping that he would wake up and see Jesus for who he is and give his life and love him like he should while he still had an opportunity. But sadly, Judas didn't. He let that opportunity pass. In Mark's account of this very, very story, in Mark chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, we see right after This scene, it says Judas went and he sold out Jesus to um, the chief priest for 30 pieces of silver, less than this perfume was. The irony in that is powerful. He didn't repent. Judas, I'm here. I'm here. His heart was so hard. He went and he sold him out. So in closing, let's be faithful with the opportunities to minister while we still have them. Let's remember to serve from an overflow, constantly and continually being filled at the feet of Jesus, demonstrating our devotion and our great love for God. In doing so, we will be fulfilling the greatest and the first commandment, to love our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you so much, God, just for, for your word, Lord, for... This opportunity that we have to come and to worship you and to seek you and to hear from you, God. And Lord, we love you so much. And we love these times, Lord, where where you send your Holy Spirit, the teacher of all things, to teach us, to instruct us, and to help us to be more like you. And so, God, we pray that we wouldn't just be hearers, but that we'd be doers of your word. And God, that you would fill your people up with your spirit. God, that we would serve you and seize every opportunity you give us to minister, Lord, knowing that the opportunities aren't going to be forever. But God, as we serve and as we go and as we do, Lord, let us not forget the best thing, sitting at your feet, continually being filled up to overflowing, that we can minister from a place of overflowing, not a place of emptiness and dryness, God. And we love you. And Lord, help us to show you, help us to love you more with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. We all say, Amen. The same chance that God gave Judas to wake up, to repent, to surrender, to turn his life around and over to him while he still had an opportunity is the same chance that he's given each one of us here today. We're not always going to have that chance, that opportunity to turn our life around and to turn it over to Jesus. But guess what? We have it today. And we don't want to leave without seizing that opportunity. We don't want to leave with a hard heart like Judas had. We want to turn our hearts around and our lives over to a God who loves us. we have that opportunity today to receive him. Jesus said this. For as many that received him, he's given them the right to become a child of God. Today, you can become a child of God. You can leave this place different than you walked in. You no longer have to be separated from him. The only thing separating you from God is sin. But he dealt with sin on the cross. He paid the price for your sin so you could know him, walk with him, talk with him, and you could be free. Free. And who the sun sets free, they're free indeed. Today can be a day of freedom, today can be a day of salvation. Today could be a day where you open up your heart and receive Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if you're here today, and you know you don't have a relationship with Christ, you know you're not in a good place with God, but you're ready to surrender your life. To say, God, I need you. I want you. Come in. Change me. Mold me and make me more like you. I'm I'm waving a white flag. I'm surrendering. Today is the day, and I want you in my life. I want to pray with you and I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here today and you're ready to make that decision, will you please stand right now so I can pray for you? Today is the day. Why are you going to make me stand? To publicly declare your love. I'm done living for myself. I'm ready to live for God. He says, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my father. Today is the day. His hand is reaching down from heaven. Will you grab it and will you receive him? you want me to pray for you and you're ready to receive them today's the day will you please stand so I can pray for you and with you anybody here ready I'm done running done doing things my way I want to receive Christ I want to do it today pastor anybody here bible says when we open up our hearts to receive him a couple things happen we're freed from the power of sin that it has over us we're slaves to sins and the penalty of sin which is eternal separation from God and soon we'll be removed from the presence of sin when we see him face to face I believe there's someone here today who God is saying come and receive me and you're struggling you're wavering but today is the day god loves you he died for you he has a plan and a purpose for you and it starts today by you recognizing your need for him and so if you're here today and god's speaking to you i'm gonna encourage you i know the weight of the world is on you. your heart's beating fast you're not sure today's the day push yourself off that chair and take a stand today Say, god i'm gonna receive you. anybody here take a stand all right if you're here today and you need a touch from the lord There's people in the prayer room to my right, to your left, that would love to pray for you, encourage you, and uh, minister to you in any way that you need. But let's stand for our final song. God bless you guys.